Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, everybody, I hope you're doing well. My name is Nate, if I haven't met you, and welcome. Especially if you're new, maybe you're tuning in for the first time or just walked into the building. It takes tremendous courage to come to a church or participate, so thank you. We hope this is a safe place for you to explore who Jesus is. Hey, before we begin um, studying the scriptures, I, I, I would like to do something. And it just kind of prompted me while we were singing I just want to pray for people to be healed. Okay, so I know that kind of how the biology works and, and the wonderful modern medicine that we have, sometimes we get a little bit confused about this. But I will tell you that when Jesus walked planet Earth, one of the primary things he did is he healed people. And it wasn't just physical. He could actually address emotional issues as well. And so occasionally I just feel a prompting that we're supposed to pray for healing. I know a lot of people who are sick right now, a lot of people who are depressed, and there's actually a significant amount of people struggling with COVID. So would you just join me? And if this is you, if you need healing, if you're online, God's going to bring all of our prayers together. Or maybe you have a friend, a family member, you just say, Lord, I'm praying for them this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you, the one who created the human body who knows us at a cellular level. And Lord, we pray for those who are suffering and sick of body or soul in our midst. Lord, we pray that you, the healer, would address what's wrong. Would you work through the medical community? We're so grateful for them. But Lord, would you also do things that are miraculous and unexplainable? Lord, I pray that you would restore hearts that you would restore bodies right now. We trust you. We look to you. Lord, give us courage and hope. Bring restoration in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much. So we're going to start a new series. It's December. (laughs) I am excited about Increased Christmas and a plan we have to engage with as many people as possible this uh, Christmas season. And here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, but we're not going to look at the typical part of Luke chapter 2 at Christmas because Luke chapter 2 has shepherds and it has Mary and Joseph, it has angels. But the last part of Luke chapter 2 has this really interesting account. It's the only story that we have in the entire Bible of Jesus during his childhood. So the biblical writers bring us up to his birth and a few days after that, and then it's just silence until Jesus is 30 years old. So we don't really know much that happened there except for this account at the end of Luke chapter two. And it's Jesus when he is 12 years old, okay? I want you to reflect for a moment what you were like when you were 12 years old. Did any of you get in trouble for going to church too often? I was getting into trouble, but for other things. Okay, 12, I would say like, The hardest times of my life were middle school. I was just a basket case of emotions and hormones, and it was not fun. 
So Jesus is 12 years old. That'd be like, what, a sixth grader or something in today's world. And here's the setting, okay? Before we read it, I want to give you a little bit of the setting because it help us to understand. Jesus is from a really devout family. So Mary and Joseph do something that Luke observes. Luke, who chronicles Jesus' life, he's one of the biographers. He's a historian and he is a physician. And he makes a statement, we'll read in a moment, says that every year they went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there's three main feasts that Jewish people uh, thought it was really important to go all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate. And this is the most important one. So uh, if Christmas is kind of the big deal culturally, Passover was the big deal culturally in the first century. Now, here's some of the challenges though. Passover is an eight day long celebration. It's, It's a long time. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus live in a town called Nazareth, which by road is 80 miles from Jerusalem. And so it is an 80-mile trip. Even if you were able to, you know, crank out 20 miles a day, you've got multiple days to get there, multiple days to get back. You're talking four days travel, eight days in Jerusalem. And it was a time when bandits worked uh, overtime because they knew that everybody going to Jerusalem for Passover was bringing with them enough cash to get their family through the Passover feast. You had to pay for lodging, you had to pay for food. They also knew that everybody brought an offering. It was one of those times where you sacrificially gave. And so what would happen is people would travel in large groups, typically family groups. And so if you were far away, you'd begin kind of by yourself, but as you pass through little villages, more and more people would join you. And in this, in this journey to Jerusalem, which Jesus has done 12 times, This is what we read at the end of Passover when Mary and Joseph, along with Jesus' siblings, are headed back home. Luke chapter 2. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So if you lost a 12-year-old today, where would you go to look for them? I don't know what you said, like arcade or something like that. I don't know if they have those anymore, but their friend's house, something like that. Yeah, well, if you're Mary, you go to look for your son at church, right? Because he's back, he's there talking, okay? So after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. How many people would say uh, you are prone to losing things? Yeah, so okay, nodding your head. 
How many people are sitting next to somebody who like, they're not raising their hand, but they can never find their car keys or their purse or their wallet. Oh, you actually raised your hand right there. Um, yeah, so when you lose something, right, depending on what it is, your level of desperation goes with it. So there's been so many mornings at our house over the years, like somebody moved my shoes. Where were they? They were sitting on the coffee table. Yep, somebody moved them because that's not where your shoes should be. Where are my keys, right? I typically, I'm kind of like, I'm that guy. Like I put my, my keys and my wallet in the same place all the time. I hate losing things. And so when I, re, when I do lose something, it's just sad, but I assume somebody else must have taken it because I would never lose it. I would never misplace anything. And I'm telling you, this is like 18 years ago. Jenny and I, were, we're going to do a, on a missions trip. We're going to kind of a, a little bit of a sketchier place in the world. And somebody looked at us. We had three kids at the time and said, hey, you need life insurance before you go there, which kind of makes you think about your trip. So real quick, we got life insurance and, and I had the documents that had to get signed. And we're driving from Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, up to Portland to catch a flight. And so I get everything signed and I bring it home and I'm like, okay, Jenny, we have to go. We have to drop this off and catch our flight. So sign these papers. Well, we pack, can't find the papers and there's no way that I misplaced them because I am Mr. Responsibility. So we're tearing the house apart. We have to get these dropped off. We have to catch a flight. Oh man. And I'm like, I'm like, kids, who has them? And the kids are like, why would I want your life insurance papers? Right. And where'd you put them, Jenny? And so it's chaos and she's mad and I'm frustrated because she lost the life insurance papers. And when we get in the car, I have my book bag and she opens it up and she pulls them out of my book bag. I'd never looked anywhere that I may have put them because I was sure I wouldn't put them anywhere. And she looks, she's like, I just like hand her a pen and go, sorry. Right, that's about all you can do. She still brings that up. She still brings that one up. You gotta be careful. So I was just, some of my favorite things, we have a lost and found here and every now and then we gotta check through it. I don't, I don't know how this happens, but we have so many car keys. How did you get home? I don't understand. Why didn't you come back for, to look for it? This one was lost on October 22nd in the chapel. If, if you, you've been here since October 22nd, here's your key. Um, this one I loved, it's a lighter. And I thought this is a curious lighter, but it's a safe lighter where it just has an LED inside. There's no flame. If you're missing your safe lighter for concerts, here it is. Here it is. There's always one earring of so many different types of earrings. So like, if you've been missing your other earring, please, please, please go to our lost and found. And this is my favorite. Sometimes I just wear this for fun. <laughs> if you're missing your unicorn headband, there's no better way to see it than this, okay? It is right here. I have little girls lining up to take this if you don't claim it. So losing things, right, it's, it's never fun. And here's a story where Jesus is misplaced. <laughs> now, here's what I'd like to do over the next few weeks. Let's look at this story and some of the surrounding stories at different angles. I think it's possible to misplace Jesus even in the midst of Christmas, which is a holiday that's all about him, right? It's, it's all about his birth. The traditions point towards this. But in 
the busyness of it all, in the traditions, in sometimes the hectic pace, we could potentially misplace Jesus, not know where he's at. And I think that would be the greatest tragedy that we might experience this Christmas. So how can, how can that happen? Here, here are three things, three things that cause me to lose Jesus. Okay? Number one is this, assumptions. Assumptions. Assuming that Jesus is with me in the things that I'm doing. So here's the phrase that Luke uses. He says, thinking that he, meaning Jesus, was in their company, they traveled on for a whole day. So they just assumed, because men and women would have traveled separately in these large caravans of people, and Jesus is kind of in that in-between stage. So for a young Jewish boy, from zero to four, the mother is in charge of all training. Okay, zero to four. From four to 12, the father's in charge of all training and education. There's a very, very systematized process of training. The first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, would have been memorized by Jesus um, coming up to his, thir- uh, his 13th birthday. And so Jesus is kind of in between manhood and childhood. And so he could have traveled with either the women or the men. And so Mary probably just assumes that Jesus is with his dad. And Joseph just assumes that Mary's with his mom. And we had one of these experiences when we were actually moving to Montana. Every guy got, got out of, we had multiple cars and, a, and a, I was driving a big moving truck. And I thought that one of my sons had climbed in with mom and mom thought he climbed in with me and we're leaving the parking lot. And I just see this kid running behind me. <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, man, it was seconds, but he's still dealing with the trauma. Um, <laughs> You just make this assumption that Jesus is with you, right? I think he's got to be here somewhere. Here's what that assumption really looks like. It it says this, Jesus, I'm going to go do what I think I need to do. And I'd like you to follow me. I'd like you to follow me. But the emphasis of the New Testament is this thing called discipleship. And that word simply means to be a follower, a dedicated follower. To be a disciple means this, that you leave what you're doing to follow Jesus. It's not my agenda any longer. I don't assume that just because I'm doing something that Jesus is in it. I let him lead and then I follow him. I'll give you an example. Just recently, um, I was asked to serve on a board for a, a nonprofit corporation. And I love the things they do. They're a really good organization. I even talked to Jenny about it and they said, she said, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I made a a five-year commitment to this board. In our first meetings, I was in a three-day series of meetings. And the first day, something just felt so off to me. I'm like, what is going on? I love what these people do. I want to be supportive. I want to add any value I can. And that night, after the first day of meetings, I just thought, I realized, oh my goodness, I never prayed about this. It was just a good thing in an organization that I like. And I just stepped into it. I set the agenda and basically I said this, hey, Jesus, would you please follow me into this? This is something I want to do. And even at this point in my life, I still get it confused. I get it backwards where rather than submitting my life to Jesus and saying, where are you going? Can I follow? 
I still have things that I wanna do and I wanna pursue and I just hope Jesus will follow me. It's an assumption that Jesus is with me. In all of our lives, there will be challenges. Whether you're brand new, you're not even sure what you believe or you've been a long-term follower of Jesus, there will be these moments where you just assumed it because it's a good thing. Jesus is gonna be there with you. Now, his presence never leaves us, but his blessing and his endorsement isn't always there. And can we get to that place where at every juncture in our lives, instead of assuming that I'll do this and, and Jesus will follow me, could I stop and say, Jesus, where are you going? And I want to follow you. Because now I'm in a five-year commitment to a board. And Jesus didn't lead me there. It's going to be a long five years. I'll keep my commitment. And I'll keep saying, Lord, help. Lord, help. So assumptions. The assumption that Jesus is with you. Here's, here's the second thing that causes Mary and Joseph to misplace or lose Jesus is busyness. Busyness. Now, Anybody who's camped at all, right? You know how long it takes to go on your first camping trip of the year? Oh, my God. Especially if you've got a family, like, putting everything together. And you're supposed to leave at 6 a.m. or something. And by noon, you finally found everything you need. You're like, this is not going well. So I just imagine the sights, the smells. You've got to imagine family units, large family units, traveling through this arid place. And this is a deeply spiritual experience. And so as they head towards Jerusalem, as soon as you begin to see the hills of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's up at an elevated place, they begin to sing what are known the Psalms of Ascent from the book of Psalms. So corporately, they've, always, they've all learned these. And now you have choirs of these sojourners singing out loud. You've got to find a place for everybody to sleep every night. People are camping out. You've got to find food. You've got a heavy load. Preparing for Passover was like preparing for Christmas. There's just all these expectations. This needs to be ready. That needs to be ready. We're having so much fun this year because uh, our daughter and son-in-law are home from the mission field because of COVID. They can't get back. And she hasn't been home for Christmas for years. And she is like, she's just so into it. She like made stockings the other day and gingerbread cookies and like all these traditions. I'm like, bring it on, girl. This is so much fun. She's got, you know, Santa stockings hanging on our mantle. It's like, it's like going back to, to like some good old days for me. It's so busy. Here's the problem with busyness. When you become busy, you are competing in a race that cannot be won. It cannot be won. And here's the other thing. Busyness does not mean that things are meaningful. Sometimes we just think if, if, if I stay busy enough... I'll add all kinds of meaning to my life. Busyness does not equate to being meaningful. We can often miss out on the things that matter the very most. What, what is most important? Because busyness will distract me. It's, you ever heard this phrase, the tyranny of the urgent? Tyranny of the urgent. And it's basically this. If, if you only have this many hours of every day, but you have the tyranny of the urgent, like people need this, this has to be done. Sometimes you can spend an entire day just busy doing unimportant, tyrannical things. They just draw on your time. 
Years ago, I decided that I had to, I, I felt like I'd go through days and I wouldn't do anything meaningful. So I have seven things that I do every day. And I will not do anything else until those seven things are done. They have to do with my spiritual life, they have to do with my home life, they have to do with who I am. These seven things have to be done. And then after that, I'll answer email. I've never received an email that was really, really important. It could always wait a few hours. How do you determine what you'll spend your time on? Because have you noticed, especially in our society and everything digitally we have, if you're not careful, your life will lead you. Your life will lead you. The key is to lead your life. To make decisions and say, I am not going to miss out on Jesus. I'm not going to miss out on the important things in life because I will determine what my schedule is. Now, there are always things that come up. And I'm not saying be so rigid, but you just say, this is most important in my life. And I do that first and then everything comes after that. Make your list. How are you going to be focused on the important things during Christmas? Stop. Busyness is exhausting. We've talked about this a number of times, but it is a theme that you just cannot avoid in the Bible. God is a God who is passionate about rest. He's passionate about rest. You find it at the very beginning in the story of creation that on the seventh day, God, who is inexhaustible, who is all-powerful, on the seventh day, he rests and he just sits down with Adam and Eve and he reflects and he says, I'm going to intertwine this this rest into the very fabric of your culture that every seventh day is a day of rest. Rest. It will work it into the years. Every seventh year is a year of rest. Every 50th year is a year where everything goes back in the box. We're going to start all over. God cares about rest. Rest, ladies and gentlemen, is not a bad thing. Rest can be the most spiritual thing that we do. God cares about your soul. And when you're busy, you don't rest. I got a great example. Yesterday, Saturday, typically I don't come in until like 3.30. So it's kind of my Sabbath. And uh, I had a problem with the garage door. And I thought, well, I know it's, I try not to do a lot of work on, on my Sabbath, but I thought this would be easy. Two broken springs, broken cables, locked garage door, can't get it up, can't get it down, tore things out of the roof. It was five hours later, I thought, well, that was a bad idea. My wife's car is locked in the garage. I can't get it out. Like I'm, I'm like, I need help. I broke it. I wonder if I would have rested if it would have been a better day. I bet. I'm designed to rest. So busyness causes us to lose Jesus. Now, here's the third thing, distraction. Distraction causes us to lose Jesus. So there's probably a million distractions happening. Mary's seeing friends she hasn't seen for years and years. Joseph is seeing his good buddies. Um, Wow, it's been so long since last Passover. There's conversations. There's always uh, deep theological talks they're having. But the enemy is always distraction, isn't it? Is that you're not present. I'm not here. I'm not truly involved in the conversation. I'm thinking about something else. I'm worrying about something else. If I'm distracted, I can miss Jesus. Just can I be present? One of the the things I love, if you read the biographies of Jesus' life, 
is he was just present with people. And there are these massive crowds of people who are coming to find him. But time after time, Jesus is going to look at this person or that person and have this conversation with them that is life altering. Life altering. A Zacchaeus, the woman who's about to be stoned. The list would go on and on where Jesus just stops and looks them in the eye and says something, asks a question that changes the course of their life. Jesus was present. When um, my daughter was just a little thing, I, she was our first, and um, I've never been around little girls. I came from a family of four boys, and then my sister's like 16 years younger, so I wasn't really around. And one of the things I was surprised by is how much she talked. Just like, like we'd go somewhere in the car and just, and you could just talk forever. And I was like, wow, this is a different. And I unfortunately developed a habit where I could just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I could be doing whatever I needed to be doing. Just, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she just keep going. She just keep going, right? I will never forget the day. I was trying to achieve something. I was trying to do something. And she was talking to me. And she goes, Daddy. She, she, she had these little speech impediments when she was little. It was so cute. She goes, come here. So I came here. And she reached up and she grabbed my face. Because she'd been talking and I hadn't been listening. She goes, look at me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And she told me what she needed to tell me. What she was saying is, Dad, you're not present. You're distracted. Look at me. I wonder if for all of us who might be distracted by, oh, it can be good things. It can be neutral things. It could be political. It could be whatever it is. Jesus, what if he just, he just looked at you this Christmas and grabbed your cheeks and said, look at me. Look at me. Don't miss me in the midst of this. This is about me. Focus on me. Look at me. And when you look in his eyes, there's love. There's forgiveness. There's hope. Look at me. Can I just ask you a few questions as we close this out? Number one, where might you be making assumptions that Jesus is traveling with you? but you have a sneaking suspicion that you're actually alone on the journey. Is there anywhere where you're just, I've, I've, I've moved into this relationship, I've moved into this emphasis in my work, I've, I've moved here and moved there, and you just realize something feels a little bit empty. Could it be that you're missing Jesus because you assumed that he'd follow you? Pause, stop. You guys remember a few years ago, some of you were around, we have Bob Goff come here to speak. He's, he's one of my favorite guys in the world. And I got to take him out to dinner after one of the services. And it's always like a test. Like, I want to see, like, okay, how genuine is this guy? Oh, he was the same. He's like, just like, you know, filled with energy and talking to every waitress and waiter. And I'm like, I love this guy. And he writes about it in one of his books. He, um, he said, you know what? 
I quit something every Thursday. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, every Thursday I quit something. Because I don't want to become overly busy. I, I don't want to get involved in things that Jesus isn't involved in. And so every Thursday I quit something. And I just thought about that. And I said, so give me an example. He said, well, I once owned a law firm. I had 60 employees. And it was a Thursday. And I went in and I realized, I don't think Jesus is in the law firm anymore. So I gathered everybody together and said, hey, it's quitting Thursday. And I quit. And I walked out. And I let them take over. I didn't even sell the business. I just walked away. And they figured it out. I just, I love that. What, what might I need to just quit? Because I'm involved in it, but the Lord isn't involved in it. Second question is this. What is tyrannically urgent in your life and ultimately unimportant? This busyness and distraction, what, what is there that just says you, you need to take more time, but you realize this is actually not important. And how do you find a way to quit that? How do you find a way to change that? How do you f- find a way to um, re-engineer your life? Third question is this, how can you make time to look at Jesus this Christmas? Just let him take you by the face and go, look at I pray that you see him more clearly than ever, more intimately ever, maybe for some of us for the very first time that you see Jesus this Christmas. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.